0: Hello, and welcome to The Interview, a podcast that presents conversations with top figures in media and politics. I'm Ada McLaughlin, the editor-in-chief of Mediaite, and regular listeners of this show will notice that it is now equipped with some bouncy intro music. I hope you enjoy it and that it doesn't detract too much from my blathering. My guest this week is Chris Steyrwalt, the veteran Fox News political analyst and editor who was fired from the network last month. Steyrwalt, up until his January firing, was part of the Fox News decision desk, the unit that calls elections for the network. He was one of the on-air faces that defended Fox's decision to call Arizona for Joe Biden which made it the first network to do so. That Arizona call, which turned out to be true, as Joe Biden won that state, was seen by Trump and his supporters as Fox's original sin in its coverage of the 2020 election and the aftermath. Now, amid fears from Fox News executives about a decline in ratings and a flight of viewers from Fox News to more Trumpian networks, Starwalt was fired. He landed as a contributing editor at The Dispatch, a conservative website. I called him up on Wednesday to talk about Fox News, the fateful Arizona call, problems with the cable news industry today, and the future of the Republican Party. Chris Dyerwalt, how are you doing?
1: Man, I'm living the dream. How are you?
0: I'm well, I'm well. I wanted to start with a personal question. Your uh, departure from Fox News in January, after years serving as a political analyst at the network, coincided with the end of the Trump administration and the start of the Biden presidency, which if promises-
1: you, if you yeah. believe that Joe Biden actually
0: won. So yes. I mean, yeah, <laughs>
1: if, if that's if, if you believe he won,
0: so, so, which is shockingly, you know, apparently up for debate, um, <laughs> though. We are, yeah, I hope hoping that we put that to bed a couple of weeks ago when Joe Biden was inaugurated. But yes, they- it is considerably more quiet now, I would say, uh, the Biden administration is. How are you feeling now that you're out of the boiler room of the 24-7 news cycle?
1: Well, I mean, I'm doing my best to get back into the boiler room. Uh, <laughs> I think it's I think it's pretty remarkable. Uh, the 19th of January was the first day since I was 21 years old or whatever that I was not a working journalist, right? Uh, I had the fact that I've made my living writing and talking and doing the work of. Uh, arranging political coverage, doing the work of election forecasting, all of the stuff that I did. You know, I, I became a political editor uh, when I was 28. Uh, <clears throat> I'm not 28. So I've been doing it for for a long time, and I hope to be doing it again um, the in, in whatever form. And I'm excited. To, I've signed on at the dispatch as uh, a contributing editor, which... I don't know what a contributing editor is exactly, but I know that I'm having fun hanging out with them and their project because let's face it, we've got a problem, which is in the atomized space of media, profit models in the news business. I think of myself as a journalist, but I also think of myself as somebody who's worked in the news business uh, for almost 30 years. And I can tell you that the perverse incentives of the current arrangement are really dangerous and really not healthy. Uh, And what they're trying to do with the dispatch, I really admire, because whether it is fee-for-service arrangement or something, uh, straight cable news ratings and straight clicks are a really, the invitation to wickedness, the invitation to iniquity is really, really strong when your income and revenue depends on satisfying and pleasing uh, your customers at all times.
0: Yeah. Now, I I do actually really want to get into that because that's a point that you harped on in your Los Angeles Times op-ed. Harped? Park <laughs> it got artfully, into artfully yes,
1: constructed,
0: dissected there. and analyzed, uh, <laughs> and crafted a, a wonderful argument about it. No, I, I really I, it was. It's a fascinating op-ed, and it's about your departure from Fox News and the state of the cable news industry. And I think you you know pay considerable attention to the corrupt incentives that the news industry thrives on currently. And I think one of those things, whenever I try to explain cable news to someone that is not necessarily in the industry and you mentioned it in your piece, is that producers have a minute by minute, second by second, mm-hmm. knowledge of what ratings are doing at that very moment. Mm-hmm. And so they can see what, what comments, what faces, what works and what doesn't for the audience. It, like, uh, and and you, you argue that those, those, that creates corrosive incentives. Like what's the argument there?
1: Well, hey, so once upon a time, mm-hmm. and I don't want to dwell on the past because it's not coming back, Uh, But once upon a time, there was a broadcast. And when something was described as being mainstream, what it meant was they were trying to appeal in the broad sector. It was not a niche publication. It was not a strictly ideological outlet. It was not just for taxidermy enthusiasts uh, or, uh, you know, uh, pantyhose salesmen. It was... A and if they're both, then but uh, the when you're broadcasting, and I mean this in the general sense of the term, you're guessing at what your user, your end user, your consumer wants. Um, your advertiser didn't know how effectively you were reaching those folks when the car dealership put an ad in the paper, uh, or Chesterfield Cigarettes ran an ad on CBS, they didn't know whether it was working or hitting the folks that they wanted to hit. Now with so much more data, so much more information, uh, it is possible for providers to target and know what delights or terrifies or angers their end user. Um, And it's not, the, the means of market research are very sophisticated, but the product tends to be very unsophisticated. Because the thing that works is palpating the fear gland, the anger gland, resentment. Those are the things that are powerful, right? Um, contentment, the, in, in a way, the most radical statement that a person could make uh, in American media today is things are pretty good. We got problems, but things are pretty good. That is not gonna make anybody stay. up Not sellable. Right, that's not a, a message that says everything will be okay doesn't match up with... Now, here I do wanna point out, like all research, and this includes the political polling that I use and have been a part of and all of that stuff, market this research draws people to incorrect conclusions very often. You mentioned the producers minute by minute, by minute, by minute. What will make more people stay? What will engage audiences more? We don't really know because what we know is that you that these companies have created an incentive structure that says, don't take chances, right? Mm-hmm. Don't take chances because if you do, your number may drop off. And if your number drops off, then to the guillotine with you, then you're out of a job. So the next guy says, well, whatever I do, I'm not going to do what that guy did because he lost his head. Uh, so it creates a high high incentive for groupthink and it creates a high incentive to if not lie to elive, to to to, tell, to state the facts in such a way as to encourage the listener or reader to reach the wrong conclusion
0: and i think one of the more devastating and obvious results of that issue uh, that you describe in the industry was the lie that the 2020 election was stolen and that was obviously conceived of by trump uh, very predictably. I think like it was, it was so clear that Trump was going to say that he did not lose the election if he did end up losing it. Right. Um, he said it countless times before that it would be rigged if he lost. And, but then it was spread by a media that was scared of crossing him and therefore angering his supporters. Right. You became a villain in that story for them mm-hmm. when the Fox News decision desk was the first to call Arizona for Joe Biden on election night. Could you walk us through what happened there?
1: Well, I mean, we didn't know, you know, first of all, uh, Fox News had the best decision desk in the business. I was so proud to be a part of it and had been since 2010. Uh, My boss, Bill Salmon, uh, 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 let me be in that room and and gave me that position of responsibility, which was so great. Arnon Mishkin and the gang of uh, swashbuckling nerds uh, did tremendous service for the network and I humbly would submit for the American public uh in cycle after cycle the first to call the house uh for democrats in 2018 uh in 2016 the first state to call wisconsin which changed the whole trajectory of how people were talking about the night and uh going back to 2012 when we called ohio and some folks carl my friend carl rove and some others had some questions about our call which were were all borne out so we were not unaccustomed to making controversial calls we were not unaccustomed to people being upset on the republican side or people being upset on the democratic side with what we did but we don't do anything right we just tell you what's going to happen we're the weatherman we're not we don't make the snowstorm we just tell you whether you're going to need to buy salt to put on your sidewalk and what was clear i you say we all saw it i underestimated two things the degree to which Trump and those around him, and, and here I say broadly, we're talking about thousands of people who are in the Republican establishment, would play along. And they got off the train at different points, right? Mm. Well, we just need to hear it out in the lawsuit. And it's like, what lawsuit? There, there's no credible case here. What are you talking about? There's no evidence. You don't have any evidence. Well, we should work through the system. So they said over time. And in the time that, the broad Republican establishment was going along with it. Well, we just want to see what happens. Created the space and time for Trump and his core supporters uh, to get the Stop the Steel energy going. And that's when you eventually saw all of the, uh, what's her name? Uh, Sidney Powell. Yeah. And Rudy Giuliani and all of that flummery. Mm the space that was create that that republicans who were afraid to say to trump you lost get over it because it's understandable not to not to digress even more but the construct with trump is as an asymmetrical political fighter he relies on relied on the fact that other people would follow rules and norms that he would not right mm-hmm. and What they were doing, what Republicans, a lot of Republicans were doing is they were in the, well, let's let the lawsuits work out and there's a process here. Let's see it go. They were following an old playbook that said, don't show your internal divisions externally, like hold your nose and get through it. That gave Trump the time to, there's about one in five Americans, um, which ends up being a, a, a substantial chunk of the Republican Party who, are, who were with Trump no matter what. And we found this same number again and again, whether it was his fight with the Gold Star family during the 2016 campaign, whether it was family separations at the board, whatever it was, the, these are the people who, no matter the issue, this is the mega-mega community. And they're going to they're gonna be with Trump, or they were going to be with Trump, whatever the case. And they would adjust their priors as necessary to get to that point. Um, we've seen in the American Enterprise Institute recent survey work on where Republicans see their allegiance. That's shifting. We're starting to see that movement again. And right now, I think there are a lot of Republicans who are so desperate for the conversation to be about something else. They don't want to admit that they were wrong. They don't want to say that Trump was wrong. But boy, I, I, they would love for, to be talking about something else so the so the establishment holds the door open for Trump to nudge through it and then i discovered i don't know we made we called arizona election night nobody made any more calls really until saturday um I mean, the whole um,
0: election was called
1: yeah, yeah uh we had already called arizona but we had not called nevada Some outlets called Nevada before we did, after we had called Arizona, but it wasn't until Pennsylvania that everybody was able to call it on Saturday, and over the span of that week, I realized that we were in a different space, because if you know that the election is stolen, right, if you know that that's true, regardless of what anybody tells you, if you know the election is stolen, then what the Fox News decision desk did was cripple or badly undercut your ability to sell that narrative, right? Because if you have Arizona, think about, if you think about Trump on election night, uh, when he goes and gives that sort of dirge of a kind of a statement, flipping through his binder, you know, we had the most, uh, we made the most alpaca coats of any administration in history, we the the our crab cakes had less filler than any other. As he's reading through all of the stuff and declaring victory, the context for that would have been very different if it were juxtaposed with a map in which Democrats had not flipped any swing state, right? Mm.
0: And I think that was it was reported that that was his, his the thing that made him the most furious because right. the you know the, if the plan was to declare victory on election night, every, you know a, a lot of people were talking about how you know the run up to the election. The on election night, it would always look like a red wave because yep. that's when all of the, uh, the in-person voting would happen. And then Joe Biden could catch up in the when the mail-in ballots came. And yeah, the, the uh, Arizona call by Fox News, I think, was one of the primary things that really took the wind out of those sails and meant that when he did come out at 4 a.m. And, and declared victory, it was it, it was kind of silly. It was like, <laughs> you know, no no one said that this race is over yet. Right.
1: That That's right. And it was here's the thing. Um I've made this analogy before, but you know, the pumpkin spice latte. And, of course, yeah. Okay. So there are a lot of basic gals who mm-hmm. enjoy a pumpkin spice latte sincerely. Mm-hmm. And then there are many who say they enjoy it ironically. Sure. They say balls. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm, I'm mocking this, but doing it. Guess what? Starbucks doesn't care whether you are enjoying their pumpkin spice latte, ironically, or sincerely, as long as you're drinking it, doesn't matter. Actually, they don't even care if you drink it, you can throw it in the trash as soon as you buy it. And that's how the stop the steal thing was. I don't know which of the people who said that the election was stolen were dupes and which were dupers, which were, who were, who were the cynics and who were the victims? I don't know. And it probably changed over time, right? Right. Uh, But whether you were cynical or hoodwinked, what, what we did, what we did was problematic, right? Uh, And it was especially problematic if you were cynical. If you knew that Donald Trump was trying to steal an election, and we're okay with it. And there's all sorts of ways people could rationalize being okay with stealing an election. The other guys are so bad. This is a big problem we have with the catastrophization of politics in America. The flight flight, 93 93 election garbage, all of that stuff, taking rivals and turning them into enemies, Mm -hmm. right? Um, the the, the, The damage there is that it creates a really evil permission structure for what you might be allowed to do on your own behalf. So if you had decided that it was good and important, in fact, patriotic, you to steal an election than having fox interfere with that narrative by saying well actually you're gonna lose arizona and we could have told if you would have been there on election night we probably could have told you yeah he's gonna lose georgia too and north carolina is going to be a top we could have we could it was knowable but not callable Mm. the 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 trend was present uh and if you would have asked us at 11 o'clock to fill and go ahead and just fill in the map we would have filled it in correctly with north carolina being right on the edge no who 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 could have known so that narrative was tremendously damaging to what trump wanted to sell and you can see uh, look it would some it would it would have worked out in some other way what is winston churchill's line uh god protects drunks children in the united states of america um the uh It's possible that somebody it would have worked out some other way. But let's just say by Friday, things would have looked very different if no other if if no one had called anything. Right. Mm -hmm. If the map was static and it's pretty close and pretty soon Republican heads start nodding like, well, I mean, maybe we should go to the state legislatures. This is very this is getting very unusual. Maybe we should do something different here and the important thing was to not do anything different right mm-hmm. not to get weird not to change the process but to stick to the process and i think uh, i'm i'm glad to say that we made that work a little easier yeah,
0: and i agree and you know i think one of the the fascinating things that happened was you know when you when you made that call it was perhaps it was controversial within within the trump campaign and i think what you saw you know the what you picked up on on you know if you're if you're a cynic, um, this you know that a call like that challenges the entire attempt to to steal an election. On the other hand, if you're one of the people that's being duped by this these false claims that an election is being stolen and you genuinely believe an election is stolen yeah 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 a, a logical conclusion of something like that is what we saw at the capitol on January sixth, where you have a group of people that believes that an election has just been stolen and is about to be certified. And they take actions into their own hands and ransack the Capitol and, and if in a you, violent if, attack.
1: If you believed what Donald Trump had told you, then storming the Capitol was not just correct, a logical conclusion, yeah. but your patriotic duty. Yeah. Right. If yeah. you believed what Donald Trump told you, then it, it's sort of like over many years of de- I'm uh, I'm from West Virginia, over many years of dealing with people who, are catastrophizing our politics to an excessive degree and it's like the deep state or the NSA not I'm not discounting these as real problems or real concerns or that Mm -hmm. inquiry in these areas is not legitimate but you get to a certain point when people are talking this stuff and you say well if that's the case I'm moving back to West Virginia I'm going to plant turnips because they got enough vitamin c to avoid scurvy and we're just going to have to wait it out because it's too late now right it's the revolution uh should should be upon us if you believed that shadowy forces allied with communist and socialist dictatorships had stolen the United States election to give it to the handmaiden of Beijing, Joe Biden, so that he could destroy the United States from within, I guess you better get busy then, right? I guess you better get out there. And exactly. that's, that's, the, that's the sad part here is that for, we hear a lot from the Trump folks about, you. well, you're insulting 47 million Americans. Well, let me tell you, of those 47 million, we know that a lot of them voted for Trump for one reason. He was not Joe Biden. They were gonna vote and they voted for Trump because they weren't gonna vote for the Democrat. period. That's the preponderance, right? Now there is a cult of personality on the populist right around Donald Trump how long that lasts, how big that is, how potent. The reason for real concern among Republicans is because of our terrible, terrible, terrible primary election system, our poisoned primary election system, that's gonna have throw weight. And we're gonna see in the 2022 elections, can Donald Trump Jr. or whomever, right? Go to your district or go to your state and deliver on the threat. Mm -hmm. If that's true, if that one in five Americans stays attached to Trump and stays a motivated primary voter, you will see the Republican Party break, right? That that becomes the break. I doubt that's what happens because like Pat Buchanan, like his other predecessors on the populist right, those things, the temperature generally comes down, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, populist revolts, have their effect. Bernie Sanders' populist revolt on the left had its effect in changing what mainstream was for Democrats. Populist revolts have their effect. And I expect that among Republicans, the number of people who are committed to stop the steel level magadum will decrease over time. But if it doesn't, and they remain a a potent force, they're gonna have Senate primaries in Ohio, in Pennsylvania. Uh, Marco Rubio is gonna be hiding in a hurricane shelter in Florida, hoping that he has uh, avoided Ivanka Trump, there's going to be all, all of this is going to play out. If the nationalist populist wing of the Republican Party can deliver results in that midterm primary set, then the Republican Party may be headed for final rupture.
0: Yeah. Now, I, I do want to uh, to get to that at some point. I want to talk about the, the future of the Republican Party, but just to, to uh, go back a little bit to. The, the the Arizona decision at Fox News, it, obviously, you know, it, 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 contesting something that Trump has said has, has deemed to be true, like the election being stolen, uh, prompts a, a, the wrath a wrath from his supporters. Did you experience that rage personally? Was that something that you faced personally when you were you know you were on the network, you were on Fox News defending the call? Um, in a lot of ways, you and Arnon Mishkin Michigan were kind of the face of that decision desk call. Um, did you face any anger yourself?
1: Well, I mean. First of all, never tweet. Um, Smart. The never tweet, don't go like, yeah, you know, you get the death threats, you get the whatever people, you know, um, all that stuff. But I was used to that. That was part of the 20, that was the part of 2016 for me yeah. too, right? Yeah. I learned the lesson from 2016 of people who were, oh, I want to be charitable with them because you can't be full of that much rage and hate if you're not soul sick if you're not if you don't have a broken a brokenness inside you and the tragedy of course is that these folks are trying to replace wholesome nourishing virtuous things with political with political tribalism and with this stuff which will never as Dr. Charles Krauthammer put it that politics is the moat and the wall that protects the city from the barbarians. If you get it wrong, everything dies. But the moat and the wall are not the point, right? The city is the point. The point
0: is the city, yeah.
1: Yeah, that's the point, is the city itself. So for the people who have disordered attachments to the degree that, like, as, uh, as, as one emailer said, and I generally don't, didn't read this stuff, But as one emailer said that by awarding Arizona to Joe Biden, uh, we had basically doomed the republic. And I wanted to write back and say, bro, we're a TV station. We don't award nothing, right? It's not a gift. We don't award nothing. Gold out, yeah. And one one of the things that people really struggled with is counting votes in the election is like putting together a jigsaw puzzle. It doesn't matter whether you put this corner together first or that corner together first. The number of pieces remains the same, and you can put them together in any order that you want. So, well,
0: there's this assumption that like the momentum of calls adds up to a result in an election. That's right. I think like Trump has made that argument himself. He said, you know, we were we were winning on election night, and then suddenly all these like all these numbers came in. They suddenly appeared. Look at that. that's people, votes being
1: counted. <laughs> people were citing, can you believe that there was one precinct in Philadelphia where Trump only got two out of 10,000 votes? I was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, the I can, <laughs> I can totally believe that, that that yeah. is true. So yeah. I, look, one of the, the benefits out of all of this, and I'm not trying to be Pollyanna here, um, but one of the benefits, if you look at the Annenberg Constitution Center Uh, or the Annenberg Center's Constitution Day study that they do every year to survey Americans and ask them about their basic civics knowledge. How many justices on the Supreme Court? Can you name them? Blah, 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 blah. Over the past several years, there's been a quantum leap in people's understanding and knowledge of the American system of government. And this is a, we've been living through a constitutional stress test. We've been living through a profound challenge to our small r Republican system of government has been under sustained attack, mostly from Trump, but some on the left too, right? Is this constitution, is this uh, electoral college, is this two senators a state visit? Maybe we should throw all of this stuff out and have a majoritarian country. Uh, If I can get to 50 plus one votes, then I should be able to do whatever I want. We've been through these moments before we've lived through them before. Our constitutional, our American system of government comes under fire with some historical frequency about once a generation in fact. Um, The good news is that as that Annenberg study reflects, people's awareness, you, you run two impeachment trials in a year, people are gonna get to know the constitution better. You talk about the electoral college in the way that we have, people are gonna get to know it better. And my belief is that another generation of Americans is being equipped to resist tyranny again, right? That that once again, another generation, people your age, younger Americans, have been equipped like, okay, this is why the founding fathers said and did the things that they did. I don't ever want to hear anybody talk about national popular vote after this. You think, if you thought that was bad, imagine what Donald Trump would have done if there was one number. There weren't 51 numbers, but if there was just one number, and just one entity in charge of counting those votes. Nellie, bar the door. That is <laughs> that is that is a tyrant's delight. Yeah. So all of these things, this has been a great education and equips another generation of Americans to protect liberty.
0: That is a very optimistic take that I'm going to be stealing. Steal and, it, brother. Steal yeah. it. But uh, one thing you said that I want to pick up on, You you noted how, you know, that after the election, um, that Republicans and uh, conservatives sort of jumped off the, uh, you know, this was a fraud, rigged election claim, sort of, you know, one by one. Right. And I think, you know, Fox News, to its credit, was, you know, early on jumping off. I think thanks to the, the news division, um, you know, some opinion hosts obviously um, got into some hot water uh, by not uh, accepting the results of the election. But you know, Fox News declared Joe Biden the president-elect, and as a result, ratings after the election dived. Um, I think it's because of a variety of factors, you know, if the preferred candidate of a network's audience loses, they tend to tune out. Um, But there was also a pretty widespread flight of viewers to more pro-Trump outlets like Newsmax and OAN, which were still pretending that Trump uh, had a chance of winning the election. Um, Do you think that there was a panic at uh, Fox News about ratings and that that has what has led to some decisions like the changes we're seeing in the lineup of hosts now?
1: Well, one thing I always tried to do when I was at Fox was not think about that stuff, because <laughs> it, it will make you it, as a newsman, it will make you crazy to think about it.
0: This is the, uh, Chris, the Chris Wallace response whenever, whenever he's asked about the, sort of the opinion side of the network is to say, well, well, no, no, it's no, not no my no. lane."
1: Well, well, yes, that's true. Mm-hmm. And you know, fair and balanced was a good way to approach having a network with robust opinion on it. Fair and balanced was a good idea, right? Um, and that you keep, as the McDon- as Gen Xers will recall, the McDonald's McDLT kept the hot side hot and the cool side cool. And that's good, because you don't mm-hmm. want soggy lettuce and you don't want a cold hamburger. Never. So, which is why a Burger King Whopper is no good after 20 minutes and everyone knows it. Sorry, Burger King. <laughs> um, but who wants to eat in a Burger King? Anyway, sorry, they may be a sponsor. The, 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 the challenge for cable news, Fox, for MS, for CN, for everybody. The problem with cable news is news and entertainment differ in one crucial aspect. They they should differ in, in many aspects, but the crucial difference is the news tells you what you don't wanna hear too, right? They will also tell you what you don't wanna hear. And inherently, when you tell people what they don't want to hear, they don't want to consume it, right? So after, a, so after the 2012 election, Fox ratings went way down. But of course, most ratings went down because the election was over, right? Mm. Uh, I think it was challenging this time because you have the post-election swoon for the normal people like, eh, I'm out. I, don't, I don't need to consume as much political news now because the election is over. And if you're a Republican, who wants to tune in to see uh, Joe Biden Mm inaugurated, right? But that's the point. If you want to tap dance, you got to have two feet. You have to take the bitter with the sweet. You have to do the hard part so that you can have the fun part. Uh, And that's the crucial thing is, yeah, you're going to go down like that when you get in that space. But look at Fox after 2012. Yep, went down and then it came back. And it's normal and it's natural and you just have to be patient to go through with it. On the other hand, and I think this is not just Fox, I think this is everywhere. If a producer feels like those minutes, right? If any ratings fall off in those minutes, uh, it is their fault, right? And their compensation, their advancement and their future in the company depends on that, that number not ticking down there is a strong incentive to go away from news and to go towards entertainment. Mm.
0: And, you know, I just, uh, not, to, not to harp too much on Fox, because I know you, you, you yeah. don't want to you know, be you know, critical of your former network, but, you know, just are, are you worried at all about the direction of Fox? Because in many ways, it seems like the network is sometimes dangerously beholden to an audience that, you know, has been fed misinformation by Trump um, and that has said that they want, that misinformation have they you know they believe that like you look at the numbers of republicans that believe um that the election was stolen and that joe biden hasn't been legitimately elected um you know at a certain point there's an incentive and other networks are in the position where they can say that that's nonsense um a network like fox can't really say that or they might have to risk losing that audience
1: i mean i'm going to be very honest with you and say mm-hmm. that i have not watched any cable news really that's sounds in since, since before I left. Uh, <laughs> and, and that's not just snobbery. That is like, it's, doesn't, it's not a fit for my lifestyle and what I'm doing. And what I'm doing is hustling and trying to get a job. So mm-hmm. I don't have a lot of like, and in the evening, I don't know who wants to sit down and listen to people argue politically. I, it is beyond, well, I guess, no, they don't tune in at Fox or anywhere to hear people argue. They tune in to be reaffirmed, so maybe it is sure. just like a warm bath. Yeah,
0: maybe that's yeah, what they're,
1: they're coming in for. Views confirmed to be confirmed and be like those other people are the worst and we're yeah. great. So yeah. yeah, I guess that's true. It isn't that, but I don't, I don't, I don't need that anyway. I have, uh, I have a preteen child, so I'm, uh, I'm, I'm used to having my views be discounted. So I'm, <laughs> I'm well accustomed. Uh, I, I don't know. That I would describe Fox as dangerously beholden to anybody in those terms. What I would say is that cable news is a dangerous profit model. It, it has danger in it for all of us, because if you aren't willing to tell people what they don't want to hear, right, then you're not going to be the news. And if people, the the, the danger here is if people think that Sean Hannity and Rachel Maddow are the news, that's a problem, right? If they perceive them as, as this is the real information and you can't get it from any place else, that's not, that's not, reliable, that's not good for the country. Um, if you can go through your day, your whole day, and live in a climate-controlled bubble where you never hear anything that, that interferes with your worldview, if you are constantly confirmed... If your, Facebook thre- if your Facebook feed, if what you watch, what you listen to, you can skip like a water bug across the day and never have to face any challenging truths, never have to face anything hard. And that's just as true for if you want to live in a climate-controlled world on the left or the right, you can do it. The difference on the right has been that Donald Trump was better at demagoguery and exploiting that than anybody who came before. him. I don't know whether if John F. Kennedy was the first president of the television age, then maybe Donald Trump was the last president of the television age. But whether he's the last or whether there's more to come, his gift as a producer, as a programmer of knowing how to stay on the screen, stay in the news. The Trump administration, got a lot of judges confirmed, uh, redid the NAFTA deal, and pushed a tax cut through Congress. And I'm sure there's other things we could think of, but that's about it. And for one term, that's okay, right? In terms of getting stuff done, that's probably pretty much okay. But Trump managed to be in the news and on the front page every day for five years. And whether it was CNN treating him like the lost Malaysian airliner, or whether it was uh, Fox with minute by minute coverage of, you know, Fox did a lot of what MSNBC had done with Obama. Remember when uh, on MSNBC they used to have what was the soup in the White House mess? And it was like, Chuck Todd, love you, but I do not care. I do <laughs> not, I, I am not so enchanted. The 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 whole goal here is that as newsmen and newswomen, we want to be not uninterested. We want to be disinterested. We want to be disinterested parties here. We're not enchanted by these things. Mm. We we don't find we're not swept away in anything. But that we come with not a cynical eye but a skeptical eye and paint the passing parade as it goes. That's that's the idea. Um, we just have to wait for the world to create a new model that will allow us to do that uh, in a way that generates
0: revenue. So uh, just to, to look to the, to the future a little bit here to, to wrap things up, um, you uh, obviously you covered the Trump presidency uh, from your approach Fox as a political analyst, and you wrote a book about American populists mm. um, from Andrew Jackson through to Donald Trump. It's called Every Man a King. So um, good. So I think you have a-, a Smells like cinnamon
1: food. when you open oh, it up.
0: Wonderful. Uh, I, I feel like you have a special historical perspective here. Um, it, just to put on your prediction hat a little bit, what do you think the future of the Republican party is? Do you think it's populist Trump party or Mitch McConnell's party?
1: You ever watch little kids play soccer?
0: I have. Yes. I was once a little kid that played soccer.
1: And they run in a clump uh-huh. and they all go over here and then yeah. the ball squirts out and then yep. they go run down the field. Mm-hmm. Um democrats did that with bernie sanders in the 2020 democratic primaries green new deal democratic socialism rah rah sis boom bah and then in you can take in um uh, kamala harris just as one example starts far left populist, and by the end is like you know what that old joe biden he's okay i like his corporate approved moderate mainstream democratic blah 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 from delaware um The secret is the Republican populist right is so crowded. I mean, Josh Hawley is like climbing over Ted Cruz's back and they're just all over there, right? There is such a swarm, an entanglement of these people who believe that that's what the future is. So take Nikki Haley, for example. So she did a great piece, uh, or uh, Tim Alberta did a great piece about her for Politico, where she re, re re reinvented herself, this time as lamenting having not been tougher with Donald Trump. So you're going to have the main clump over here, and then you have Haley and whoever breaking away because they see the ball moving in the other direction. I don't know what the conventional wisdom will be until we get out of 2022. Because the ability for the populist right to defeat Mitch McConnell, if we remember 2018, and Steve Bannon and Donald Trump were going to break Mitch McConnell's back, and the Republican establishment, old school, will be defeated, they were over, they were bubkis, they got nothing. And McConnell held serve and, and won those primaries and won the Senate, or kept the Senate. The, who, who wins and who loses in these races? You tell me who the Republican nominees are. If, if Jim Jordan is the Republican nominee in Ohio, right? Uh, if, the, if, if it's Lou Barletta or some Trumpist in Pennsylvania, and that's the direction the Republican Party is going, if they win seats, then you'll see Nikki Haley run back into it. She'll be like, oh, actually, mm-hmm. now that you mentioned it, I want to be back. Because what we forget is cowardice is, is, is the driver here. Right. These are people. It wasn't like everybody in the Democratic Party said Bernie was right. They said, oh, I don't want to upset any of his supporters like Hillary did. So I'm just going to suck up to them. We don't know what the conventional what the received wisdom is. So here's your formula. You can you can test me on this uh, in three years, which is whatever the perceived wisdom is, was where they will all clump up. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. with uh, Josh Pauly's brill, brill, brill cream freshly in the air, they will clump up over here, and then the right place to be will be right over here. It will be and that's why I think don't sleep on Mike Pence uh, as, a, as somebody who could be a few, who could be mainstream, acceptable, have some cred with all but the people who said they wanted to hang him. Uh, that, that old thing, and even some of them. We'll forget. And this is the last thing I'll say about it. Never underestimate the fickleness of the American electorate. The same people who said, who vigorously defended the invasion of the Iraq war, cheered for Donald, some of the same people who did that, cheered for Donald Trump when he said that George Bush was an idiot for invading Iraq, should have taken the oil and should have been impeached for it. They didn't care about being consistent. They didn't care about whatever it is. They wanted to win. And as we live in a country where more and more people are, they're analysts themselves. They're trying to vote strategically. I'm going to vote for Biden because I think he has the better chance to win. (coughs) As we live in a country with more of those people, the value of being seen as a winner is going to go up. So they'll be fickle and they'll follow around. And they won't care if voting for this person is actually against Trump or for Trump or whatever, because they'll just smooth their memory out into a nice, happy place where they were right the whole
0: time. I think that's a good place to end it, Chris. Thank you so much for joining me. (laughs) You bet. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Interview. Please subscribe to The Interview on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and check out coverage of my conversation with Chris Steyerwalt on Mediate.com. We'll see you next week.